Want more? Do more. If you want more, do more. My brother, Jordan, my younger brother, 17 years, my junior, shared me that, shared that with me from a motivational speaker he heard. Want more, do more. And it sounds, it's, I like it, actually. It's pretty sound advice. If life is not going the way you want, do something about it. Take action. If you're unhappy with circumstances, do something. If you're tired of complaining about what's not working or what's limiting your future, do something about it. But don't do the same thing you've been doing. Do something else. Do something different. Direct the course. Set things on a different path. You want more of what you already have? Maybe. Hopefully. That's called bliss. That's called contentment. That would be great, but that's not how most of us live. You want more? Do more. I like that. But Jordan shared that with me a couple of weeks ago, right in the middle of our study on Bereshit, on Genesis, and particularly this section about Jacob and Esau and, and Rebekah and all these things, and it's extremely well-timed. Last week we were in Parsha Toldot, the generations, where somebody wanted more and did more. Who? Jacob. Jacob, who said, uh-uh, I'll take that birthright if you don't mind. And he bought it. And he purchased it. And we talked about it. We studied it last week. We said, listen, no deception. It was a fair deal. The terms were there. It was accepted. Red, red stuff. Birthright. And that was done, I told you, as Yeshua instructed his disciples to be. As cunning as serpents, as innocents, as doves. In other words, do what you have to do, but keep your motive pure, is sort of what he was saying. Or the, or, or the second Samuel or maybe 1 Samuel says, use deception against the deceptor. It's an interesting thing. I might talk about that next week. I think it fits in. But anyway, that wasn't actually, I told you, the big thing that Jacob did. That thing was pretty legal and pretty above board. I mentioned something else that he did, something really, really important thing that happened, something that Jacob supposedly stole, which was what? The blessing. The blessing. Esau's blessing. He deceived Isaac, took advantage of his blindness to get what he wanted because he wanted more and he did more. So they say, that's how the story goes. But let me ask you, in reality, who wanted more? In the story, who actually was the one driving the action? Who wanted more? Rebecca, his mother. His mother told him to do it. She had received a word from God about the older serving the younger. She favored Jacob, and she had the plan of God in mind when she took action. Want more? Do more. Change the course. Fix the problem. And so, listen, I mean, I ask this question too. If it is want more, do more, is that a valid thing when it comes to the instructions that God has told you? Now, if I could tell you the number of people that have told me, well, God told me, I wish it were that easy. I wish really that God would just audibly speak to us. That would be so easy. It doesn't usually work that way. 
But is it a valid thing that when, when, you, when you know God has said, you feel this real direction of God, it, at what point do we decide to, to, to say, I'm going to do it this way? Uh, we're going this way now. God, I hear you. This is what we're going to do. When do we step in? When should we take action? And when should we be still when it comes to the things of God? I remember a conversation many years ago with someone who was really struggling financially. Their family was struggling, unemployed. They couldn't find a job. And, and, and this person knew, they told me, God has the job I need. I, it, I, it's, it's just waiting for me, he said. And I said, man, you know, I believe that too. I'm praying with you. How's the search going? How were your interviews this week? How many applications? How many applications do you have out there? Not many. Well, like how many? 10, 20? Like two. Because I know God's got it. And I was like, yeah, I know God's got it too, but I know you better get it. <laughs> get your butt off the couch and go out there and put out some interviews and start doing something about your life. There is absolutely a time when God expects us to take action. I, I get this. But Rebecca took action last week, right? 27.6 in Genesis. Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me savory food to eat that I may bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my word as I command you. Now when your mother says to you, Obey my word as I command you. What do you do? What your mother told you to do. That's what you do. Obey my word as I command you. Now, I want you to notice something about this. There's a lot of focus on the older serving the younger. Actually, if we could do a deep study on that Hebrew, we'd find that it's not actually that clear. It doesn't. It could read a couple of different ways, but that's a different message. The older serving the younger, right? That's a focus that we hear a lot. But this is not the first time that that has emerged. When did we see it the first time? Well, we saw Cain and Abel, right? Abel was killed and, and Cain got skipped over. We saw Ishmael and Isaac. We see Esau and Jacob. Later we see Reuben and, and Judah and Joseph's son and this change around. We see later Menashe and Ephraim. We just did this blessing the younger coming before the older. The pattern tells us, this is also something different, but that pattern tells us that God is more concerned about the will and desire of the person than he is when you were born. Okay, that's, that's, that's established in the Bible. The choices of people, their actions, they matter. But there's an interesting twist with what Rebecca does here. God is the one who chose Abel's sacrifice. God is the one who promoted Isaac as the child of promise. Now, Sarah was telling Abraham, you need to go do that. But God confirmed Sarah's instruction to Abraham and said, yeah, she's right. Isaac is the son of promise. And he was Ishmael's younger brother. But for the first time, Rebekah steps in and says, all right. This is how we're going to do it. East, Jacob, get in there and do this. We're taking action. Younger, supplanting the older. Let's go. She 
takes the action. And it actually sets a new trajectory because we're going to see Jacob do that with sons later and grandsons. He also takes the action to make the younger ahead of the older. So for the first time, we see not God choosing, but Rebecca is going to make it happen. Now, what, what we're sort of sensing in, in Rebecca's lesson is, all right, God told me this. I see this. It's not supposed to go that way. We need to act. We need to step in right now. We need to help God because sometimes for God's will to be achieved on the planet, humans, humans need to take action. As Rabbi Waxman, right, he says it this way, it needs to be worked for. That is God's will. Interestingly, listen to this. It needs to be worked for, steered, directed, and dragged into the world by human participation. You may not like the way that sounds, but that's demonstrated in a number of cases in the Bible. But listen, want more, do more. And in many, many opinions, Rebecca, because of this action, is viewed as the heroine of the story. And certainly, that could be the correct interpretation. I mean, she, she the insightful, spiritually connected parent of the story, stops blind Isaac, who apparently is physically blind, and spiritually blind, which is a strange consideration that one of the patriarchs would be spiritually blind. But nevertheless, she steps in, stops him from making the worst decision imaginable, the worst mistake of his life of literally undoing the will of God, cursing all of the future descendants. Want more? Do more. You go, girl, Rebecca. Get in there and get it done. But is that how the story goes? Is catastrophe averted? Did Rebecca save the day? What was saved? What was accomplished? A different question, maybe particularly for our question of how much control should we take when it comes to these kinds of situations? The better question is, what might have been had she not done that? What actually, what if she didn't do that? What can we learn? What if Esau got the blessing? Have you ever thought about this? What if Esau got the blessing? Does that mean that all of a sudden, ah, God's plan, it's over. It's done. Esau, you won. You beat God. We'll never know what would have happened. But let's just consider some things. Given what we know about Esau, if he became the man, if he had gotten this blessing, would it have been the end of the world? I mean, knowing Esau, he might have fallen out of a deer stand a week later and, you know, <laughs> broke his neck and died. Or, or who knows? Maybe... No, no one knows what Esau would do. 
He might have been gored by a wild beast a week later. He might have gotten famished and traded in his new blessing for a bowl of blue-blue soup. Who knows? Can you trade in your blessing? I don't know. I didn't, you can trade a birthright, so who knows? Point is, anything could have happened. Esau could have died prematurely, done something else stupid, who knows? And then guess what? It passes to who? Jacob. Now that plan, as stated to Rebecca, would still have been realized. Because I want you to hear what God's word, his prophecy to Rebecca, did not say. God did not say to Rebecca, listen, you got issues. I know your, your, your womb is really disrupted. It's like a hurricane in there. You got issues. There are two warring nations in there, Rebecca. I know. It's, it's trouble. I get it. The older is going to serve the younger. But it depends on you, sister. You got to be ready to fix this. That's not in the text. God had the plan. And it was going to happen. And because of the actions that were taken, what we read in the Torah is the way that it went. But I want you to think on something else. I want you to think of what this course of action cost. What it cost Jacob. What it cost Rebekah. What it cost Laban. What it cost Esau, even. Think of the cost. It was pretty high. I want you to remember in 40, later in Genesis 7, Pharaoh says, Jacob, how old are you, man? And Jacob says, gosh, few and hard have been the years of my life. At the end of his life, few and hard have been the years of my life. Please, 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 please remember, Jacob didn't want to do this. You know that, right? Jacob didn't want to do this. Jacob says to his mom when she says, go do what I told you. He says, mom, Esau's hairy. I'm smooth. Perhaps my father will feel me and I'll feel, you know, he'll think I'm mocking him and I'll bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. That's what Jacob says. And what does she say? I'll take the curse. It's on me. Go do it. That's a strong mom. And he did. He went. What did he do? He went to get the, 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 goat, but, uh, the goats. But I want you to listen to how he goes. Many translations say something like this. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food as his, mother, as his father loved. Big deal. He, she told him. He went and got them, brought them, and, and made the, the food. But the Torah takes those three words and separates them very distinctly to say he went, he fetched, or he brought, and he got. They're each a distinct action. Why? Why that? Well, because the, the commentators mentioned to us that he wasn't just strolling all, let me go get this thing, let's get mommy happy and let's go steal something. With each step, each word, it's, he, had a, he was hesitating. He went, gosh, I don't want to do this. Ugh. He got, oh, I really don't want to do this. 
And he finally brought, and all the while taking this hesitation because he didn't want to do it. It was the struggle within him, not because he wanted to steal a blessing. He, was, he needed to obey his mother, but he didn't want to do it. And he, you know, reluctantly went, want more, do more, I guess. But that choice, actually, that do more, did in fact in some way bring a curse on Jacob and on Rebekah. Because think about it. What was Rebecca's plan? Her plan was that Jacob's going to go for, he's going to get this thing. That's going to work out good. He's going to go out there, stay with my brother for a while. He's going to come back. I mean, it's, we got this thing figured out. It's all going to work. The Torah never indicates that Rebecca saw her son ever again. Never again. And this was not her expectation of the future for her son for her son, for his refuge in the house of her brother, the quick reunion, nothing really seems to work out. But think about Jacob. And we can lay Jacob's troubles out here, this particular application of his troubles, by what I'll call the three L's. Laban, ladies, and the limp. <laughs> Laban is no friend to Jacob, is he? J Laban is also a deceiver. He cheats him. He harasses him. Such an ironic little verse in the Torah that you might have seen. After the Rachel Leah switcheroo that happens in Genesis 29, when morning came, there was Leah. But I wanted Rachel. And Laban says this. It's not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the older. You ever caught that? He's calling Jacob out. You did it. You think I can't do it to you? Laban was no friend. The ladies, the sisters, ja Jake, Jacob. Well, let's just call him Jake. It's too long, the two <laughs> syllables. No. Jacob worked for 14 years to marry Rachel. 14 years. No, he worked seven. No, he worked 14. First seven were for Rachel. He got Leah. The next seven were for Rachel. He got Rachel. How did that come about? Who's the victim there? Leah. Mm -hmm. Leah is the victim. Why? Because of her father's deception. Because he took it upon himself. Want more? Do more. I got to get my eldest daughter married first. We're not doing that. I'll lie. We don't do it like that around here. Jake, you take her. She was the victim. Why? Because he didn't love her like he loved Rachel. And that strife that occurred within his home, who can have babies? Who can have babies first? Who can have more babies? Here, take my slave girl. Here, no, you take my slave girl. Come over here and spend the night. Mandrakes and all. I mean, it was crazy in Jacob's house. No offense, ladies. Any man who has four women in his home is not very smart. But I'm, I, strike that from the record. Jacob is a patriarch with great respect. It was sarcasm, and I shouldn't have said it that way. But the ladies, the ladies was no easy case. And the limp, I mean, I'll have something, I hope, great to share with you next week about that. But 
wrestling with an angel, getting your hip ripped out of socket so that for the rest of your life you walk with a limp as a constant reminder of the life of strife that you had, and then your name gets changed to what? Wrestled with God, striven with God. I mean, this is Jacob's life. Why? Want more, do more. Get in there and fix it, Jacob. Man, what, what, and that's, that's not the end of Jacob's troubles. He's got another thing coming. What's with deception? His other sons to his beloved son that he favored. We'll get to that later. Whole new thing in the Torah, Joseph's story. What would have happened if mom had let go and let God, as they say? What would have happened? Again, we'll never know. But was this the time? Was this the time for, I heard it from God, want more, do more. Let's get this done. Did she need to step in? Is she the heroine? Rebecca, the matriarch, we bless our children. Is she the heroine or is she the unintended creator of an unbelievable amount of avoidable heartache? It's a question that I don't have an answer to, but it's a consideration. But there's something interesting, and I just I have to share this because I touched on it last week. When we look at the blessings, did she need to do this? That's the question. Did she need to do it? Well, when we look at the blessings that Isaac gave, we see that maybe she didn't need to do it, that it was Isaac might not have been as spiritually blind after all as we thought. Because if you really look at these blessings, and I know this is last week's Torah portion, but if you go back and read them, I'll share it with you here. When you look at the blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob in his goat skins when he thought it was Esau, if you read the text of the blessing, you're going to find some missing things there. Here's what you'll read. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the fields that Hashem has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and the fat of the earth, abundance of new grain and wine. Let people serve you. Let nations bow to you. Be master over your brothers. Let your mother's sons bow to you. Cursed be they who curse you. Blessed be those who bless you. That is Isaac speaking to Jacob, who he thinks is Esau. We're on the same page, right? That's Esau's blessing. There is no mention of a multitude of descendants, nor of possessing the land of Canaan of Israel. Now you have this little reference in there from Abraham's thing about, you know, blessings and curses, but every other covenantal language piece is missing from there. The stolen blessings, the blessings of Esau, seem actually to be just about economic and political success. It's like these are the blessings that are appropriate for a warrior hunter guy. They're not the blessings of Abraham, or they're not even connected to Abraham. They're, they're Isaac's wishes for his favorite son to be this strong and successful guy who has a nation and rules things. It's not really about the blessings of Abraham. Now, if you contrast that, excuse me, if you contrast that with the blessings of Abraham that were given to Jacob, listen to this blessing. This is as God is, as Jacob is, uh, 
as Isaac is sending Jacob out, may El Shaddai bless you, make you fertile and numerous, so that you become an assembly of peoples. May you and your offspring be granted the blessing of Abraham, that you may possess the land where you are, where you are sojourning, which God assigned to Abraham. That is the covenantal blessing. That is the blessing of the chosen kid who's going to carry on the nationhood. And it is a consideration that Isaac never imagined to pass those blessings on to Esau. Because the blessing he thought he was giving to Esau didn't have any of them in there. That from the beginning, Isaac knew that he wasn't actually as dumb as he's been made out to. That he's a patriarch, that he had spiritual vision and sense. It's possible that, listen, and this is like a, this is a turn their things on their head kind of comment from Rabbi Hanok Waxman, but I love it. It's a consideration. It says, Rivka's plan, Rebecca's plan, saved nothing. Not the day, not the covenant. Rather, it constitutes an error, a tragic mistake rebounding through the events and years of her and her beloved son's lives. The story of the theft of the blessings is not the story of right initiative, but exactly the opposite. It's the story of wrong initiative. It's not the story of the necessity for human action, for the the realization of divine providence. It's the story of what should have been the necessity of human withdrawal, of passivity, It's the story of trespassing on the divine role and usurping the prerogative of God. That's pretty strong, I realize, to talk about Rivka that way. But, and the lesson there is obvious for us. Sometimes in our zeal and our confidence in what God has told us, we can get way ahead of God. Way ahead. And we find ourselves still on a path toward the promise, but, but now lumbering along with a limp and unnecessary strife on our back that we created. Want more? Do more. Well, great. Sometimes that works, but, but not always with God. But how do we know? That's the thing. What do you want to take out of here? How do we know? I asked, how do, we, how do we know when to stand up and take action or kneel down and pray? How do we know when to wait upon the wind? This beautiful song, but when I'm facing troubles, how do I know if I'm supposed to, the clash, you know what that is? Should I stay or should I go? You want the answer to that question? I don't know, but I have a suggestion, at least. It's the least I can do for you. The voice we hear, the one that we choose to listen to, I believe so much, so much, so much. And here's the, I say this a lot, but here's the time when I need this little mirror down here and I hold it up and say, I believe so much that if we could take our thoughts captive 
that we could improve so much, we could positively affect everything in our lives. Take your thoughts captive. That's very familiar language from 2 Corinthians 10. It gets used out of context a lot. And I mean it similarly to what Paul said, but maybe twist a little twist here. Our minds, our minds and our emotions, our instincts, too often overpower that good voice within us, that spirit, the spirit inside of you, which guides and, and calms and directs toward wisdom and good choices and peace and good timing. The Spirit of God, the voice within you that communicates, will never, ever, ever tell you at the wrong time to do something. Ever. The question is, how tall is your antenna? To receive it. To know. Because, listen, too often... We construct the end in our mind before the story has even begun, don't we? We, 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 we know how it's going to play out, even though there's no evidence that that's actually going to happen. And I find myself using this quote, not biblical, I find myself using this quote like on a weekly basis now. It's becoming my favorite quote. Michelle de Montaigne to this point. My life has been filled with terrible misfortune. Most of which never happened. That's what we do to ourselves with our thoughts. It is... It, it is. We, we think the worst unnecessarily. Sometimes then we make choices with unintended, irreversible consequences. And it's this age-old, original story retold again and again in our lives from the garden. Did God really say, yes, he did say, don't eat that. But, but did he mean that? What if, now, but can I believe? Why should I believe that? What does that even mean? Don't eat that. But mm, let me think about that. What if, what if, if well, if this happens, then, then that'll happen. And if that happens, oh my gosh, eat it, eat it now. But he said, don't, but we've got to, we got to take action. That's how we live our lives in so many cases. Some stimulus causes an immediate ah! response. found a new favorite quote from suffragist and writer Lucy Mallory. Every thought a person dwells upon, whether he expresses it or not, either damages or improves his life. Every thought you dwell on, not every fleeting thought, every thought you put in and dwell on either, 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 either uh, improves or damages your life. Practically speaking, like how many times every day, not to beat this horse to death, but like you feel like you're, you got it going on, you got it figured out, I'm going in the right direction, things are happening, this is good, I feel like God's with me, roadblock. Oh, oh, I, oh my gosh, this changes everything, there's an obstacle here, oh, 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 crisis, react, 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 rash decision, rust of judgment, we got to dive in head first, how deep's the water, it doesn't matter, God. And all of a sudden, 
You hit the bottom and you realize, oh my gosh, that was the stupidest thing I've ever done. I didn't need to do that had I just like, We got to dive in. Well, the point is sometimes you don't. Sometimes you do. Sometimes there's a point where you just wait in that tension to know which voice you're hearing. Which inclination are you hearing? And I can't tell you that Rebecca didn't have a long prayer time with God about this and what the thing she should do, but the text doesn't indicate that. She said, I heard this. This is what I heard. Let's do this. Because here's how it works, and this is we're gonna we're gonna conclude this. The plan up there, his plan, the master plan, that doesn't change. With Jacob, listen, Jake, the thing with Jacob happened. Jacob's the patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it happened. The word to Rivka came true. He became the holder of the Abrahamic blessing. The actual, well, actually, the older serving the younger hasn't happened yet. Israel's not the center of the universe. Rome is not bowed down to Israel. None of that stuff has happened yet, but it will. But his plan, the plan up there doesn't change. But our free will, the choices you make, cause God, listen to me carefully, cause God to have to adapt the plan. Now, that sounds maybe heretical. God doesn't change because of me? No. Listen, in context, this makes sense. God has a plan. You decide you want to go that way. That plan doesn't change, but a whole bunch of things are going to get modified along the way over here, and eventually you'll finally, God willing, make your way back to the plan. But there's a lot of things that our free will causes, and God can work all things out, and he can make things work together for good, and he does. And of course, he knew every single decision that everyone would make, Rebecca, Jacob, Laban, Esau, but they had a choice. They had a choice to make. God had a plan. He had the right one. And those adjustments and adaptations that we choose, they don't always work out, for, work out well for us. You can ask Jacob about that. But amazingly, amazingly, or, or sadly, or happily, in some way, even those diversions, even those obstacles, even the things that we do are ultimately used for our good or for the greater good. And I know that God knows what you can handle and what I can handle. And he gives it to us because that was the choice we made. And there are many, many lessons I'm sure you, like me, would have preferred to learn a different way than the way you chose to learn them. But you learned them. And Jacob learned lessons. And I think Rebecca learned lessons. Now listen, Rebecca is a matriarch. She is a special woman. She heard from God, a loving mother, a bold action taker, which is usually very good. And nothing I've said is to diminish Rivka, but to learn from an interpretation of a human being's life. The Bible is people, imperfect people. And they teach us so very much. You want more? Do more. It works. 
I think most of the time we need to be action takers. But I think the lesson that we take away here is don't be rash, reactionary, highly emotional, unsupported, spiritless decision makers because the world forces you into something that you perceive. My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Make sure that the drive to take the action comes from a place of trust, a place of peace in the tension, a place of knowing that you haven't created this false reality, which is usually negative, and that the, the world so many times, and even God certainly has shown you time and time again, that many of those creations never come to pass. Your worries and your fears some situations require desperate and quick action. That's a different message, but the same basis. Take every thought captive. Train your mind to live by the Spirit. And part of that Spirit is reason and patience and peace. And sometimes the mission that you have is so important that you want to go off this way. And guess what? God won't let you. He'll grab you or he'll put an angel in your path as you're trying to cross the river. And that angel will say, uh-uh, not going that way. And rip your hip out. And say, no, you're not doing that. This is the course you're staying on it. Sometimes, but not often, God a lot of times he might send you a messenger. He might send you a malach. He might send you anything. But a lot of times, he will let you take your path of choice. So think about the path of choice. And next, don't, don't, you know, God will, will sometimes put this and say, trust me, listen, it might, it might look shaky right now. I got it worked out. Don't go off the rails. Take the next step. That's sometimes all it takes. Next week, we'll learn more about God's intervention, Jacob's poor hip. Shabbat shalom.